Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're doing an interview with Marcus Bone. So Marcus is, a, I believe he's a lifelong gamer. Uh, and and like me, uh, back in 1991, I believe, Dark Conspiracy came out. And I liked the game, but I think Marcus liked it a little bit more than I did. <laughs> and so what attracted you to Dark Conspiracy, Marcus? Uh, well, first, thanks very much uh, for having this chat. But um, the the to be honest, the thing that attracted me the most was the cover. Yes, that, that cover it, by Elmore. Yes, because it's funny because I, I I told a story when I when we did the episode on Dark Conspiracy that the 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 cover you know as far as like compared to the D and D covers of you know the eighties, mm-hmm. I mean it, it was just a lot more I don't know more intriguing to me. So yeah, exactly. the, so, the, so the cover definitely helped. Totally. Out. So I was, I think I must have been about oh, 16, 17, and I yeah. went to my local bookstore, which was also, I lived in a small town here in New Zealand, and um, there wasn't much on the shelves, but it was the only place that sold role-playing games. And uh, I went in there and I saw that cover, and I knew I had to have that game. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember when I bought it, whether it was that day or whether it was sometime in the future, but... All I can remember was that cover and going, this is a game for me. It probably helped a little bit that I knew a little bit about Game Designers Workshop. We'd been playing Twilight 2000 and the role-playing group that I was with. I played with a bunch, a little bit older group. And so they were playing okay. more serious role-playing games at the time. Right, right. Um, well, that, that's interesting because like uh, with me, I was mainly just playing Dungeons and Dragons. I wasn't really into like Call of Cthulhu, which had already you know debuted and everything. And this kind of fills that same niche, sort of, you know, this horror aspect of of role playing. So, did you play any horror games before? Um, not really. Okay. Um, I probably like I knew of things like. In fact, I can't even recall if I knew of Call of Cthulhu. Um, okay. Or anything else. So this would be near ninety one. So unlikely. Like I said, I lived in a small little town. I was still okay. at. Uh, the equivalent of, oh, we call it high school too, I suppose. Um, right. College, we call it college at that level here in New Zealand. But um, yeah, so um, I think my gaming experience is very limited to whatever my peers was into. So mainly Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, lots of okay. war gaming was, was big on my agenda at the time. You know, uh, games workshop games like, you know, Warhammer 40k, Epic, those sorts of things was big. Cool, cool. So... So like just like me, I I was I'm a little older than you. So I saw it at the at the local mall, and it took me like a few passes to actually end up buying the book. Uh, we didn't have a local game shop, even though our town was sort of bigger. And but it like you know I kept reading the back of the book, and I looked at the pictures in it, and I go, man, it's just really cool, and it was a lot different than Dungeons and Dragons. So I ended up buying it. But you, you kind of like, you know, got really into this dark conspiracy. Totally. And, <laughs> and I, I don't exactly know why I did. I mean, let's be honest. The thing I like the most about it is the background. It is so unique and so different. It, it's right. a real mishmash of other ideas and thoughts and other settings. It's a little bit cyberpunk, but not really. It's a little right. bit, um, you know, a horror but not really. You're not running away and hiding. You're getting the gun out right. and shooting the creature. Um, it's a little bit military, but it's not really. Um, right. So it, it sort of had that sort of unique, and I still think today it has that unique 
space which it, which it lives. And I think it's a product of its time as well. I think, um, I, I don't know, again, being very young and not really knowing much about America, but I feel that there was that sort of zeitgeist going on in America around conspiracy and the government. And that's why you got things like, in it, within the, sort of that five-year period, things like the X-Files came along, things like oh. uh, Delta Green came out. Um, right. Just, yeah, I, I, you're American. You probably know... Um, more my, than myself, but uh, I, I just get that feeling. That was just something that was going on. That was something that was was happening. Yes, it was totally. The X Files was like very popular, and I mean that's when it came out, and we used to watch it all the time. So. Right, right. When we when before we moved here to San Jose, in my hometown, we were living in Salinas, and uh, I think uh, X Files came out in the what the late eighties. No, it had to be ninety one. It was ninety one, ninety two. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, oh. Well, may, maybe... Yeah, maybe me ninety three. <laughs> yeah, because we were we were at your mom and dad's. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's pretty cool. But you know what's interesting too is you're right. This whole idea that they threw everything into dark conspiracy, the, the kitchen sink. I would you know that's the expression here in the United States is like you know it has aliens, it has uh, monsters, it has you know ultra the ultra. Old, other dimensions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I yep. really like the book because it's like it's regular paper, but then every once in a while there's these glossy pages in there that yeah. have the pictures, which I think is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that happened because Game Designers Workshop was a little flush with money at the time. Yeah, they uh, they thought here we go, here's a chance to do something different with our something different with our um, with our design. Because other than that, that the design and the look is very typical of the sort of '90s game game book, but it has that uniqueness of those those glossy pages and um, sort of a change. All of the the guns in there too. Mm -hmm. They're like so many different guns. It's very very crunchy, or it looks crunchy to me. It is very crunchy. So, what do you think about the rules itself, like the 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 die mechanic and stuff? Oh, so okay, here Uh, we go. Not the biggest fan, but that the not the biggest fan. I, yes. I ran around that time when I first got it. I ran a bit of a, you know, interconnected series of adventures. You suppose you could call it a campaign, but it wasn't really. Um, yeah. And and they they were serviceable. Um, when I've played it in the future and uh, in more recent times, which I haven't played that much, but um, I've always adapted and changed the mechanics. Okay. Um, and I'll talk at some point, obviously, about the time when I I owned the license for a period of time. Um, yeah. And uh, what I didn't or failed to do then, <laughs> with it. right? So, so here you are, a sixteen-year-old kid, seventeen. Uh, you buy this game, you kind of like it, you know. You run games, you know. How do you transition from a guy who, or a young person who, you know, is a, a kind of a fan of the game, which I was, but I never transitioned to like somebody who wrote stuff for it or was was heavily involved in in. And ultimately, you like you said, you owned the rights. So how did the how did that bridge come happen? Happen right? How did you get from one so point? So how did a? I get from one point to a? So it would have been <laughs> it would have been when I was at, at university, um, and okay. I finally got the internet. So this is you know this is the late nineties. This would have been <laughs> this is six or seven years later. I I had oh I should probably say that at one point the local distributor in Australia and New Zealand that was that distributed most role playing games, right. Um, was going under uh, for whatever oh. reason. And there was this huge sellout of all role-playing games. Like anything you were into, the catalog, the local that local store we'd got to, the owner 
told us this was happening and he pulled the catalogue out that had come from the local distributor and said, if there's anything you guys want, just tell me and I'll order it for you and I'll sell you at at the price, the retail price listed. And so books that were normally, let's say this would be about $20 US, would be $20 New Zealand. Now, at that point, the New Zealand dollar was probably worth about half of what the US was. So it was a real bargain basement. <laughs> wow. So, so you, I think you loaded up on games. I loaded up on games. <laughs> and, and one of the games I loaded up with was Dark Conspiracy. You're right, right, right. And so within probably, this would be about by the mm, couple of years after the, the core rule book came out. But um, then I suddenly had a copy of everything, including the board game that came out, all those things. Yeah, Minion Hunter. Mm. Minion Hunter, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. 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 So, so okay. So you got all this stuff. So I got all yeah. that stuff, and then when I got to university, I yep got the internet. Good old dial-up. Had to plug the cable in and squealing <laughs> noise of the modem and all those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I got it for educational purposes, obviously. Not for <laughs> obviously. But um, I thought. I don't know what it was. I think I must have gone exploring for all the little role-playing games. I like to see what was out there. And I discovered a couple of sites that still exist to today out there for, for, for Dark Conspiracy. One being Mike Marchi's website. As yes. well as um, I got in contact with Dr. Mike. Oh, no, I can't pronounce his surname. Labossier, I think his name is. Labossier, yeah. 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 Um, I spoke with... Oh, no emailed him or whatever it was. And he said that he was doing a little magazine at the time uh, for horror games. It was just a little fan broadsheet. Um, right. But he'd heard through the grapevine that a second, ed- or yes, a second edition was coming, that someone had got the rights. Okay. Somewhere, somehow, a use group had appeared for the game, um, sort of a chat and I hopped online that chat, and I think it was the first one I went on, and I said, you know, I've been doing this bit of writing for this broadsheet for, for the Doctor. Um, I'd be really keen on doing something for Dark Conspiracy. And both Mike, Archie, and Jeff Scallums, Australian, uh, said, we'd be keen on doing that as well. Wow. And so between the three of us, we created Demon Ground. Right, because I remember all three of your names on that mm-hmm. on that, uh, on that fanzine. So, so it was all- electronic only right it wasn't mm-hmm. ever printed correct right. and and i remember that the premise was initially let's do something for dark conspiracy let's support a game that had disappeared and was coming back again let's um make it professional looking and jeff did a great job in that um mike had been running a long standing campaign and had lots of ideas and adventures and thoughts about it um and i just was like okay i'll i'll come along in your coattails i just have a good idea that i want to be involved um i'd love to be involved in game writing professionally you know as a freelancer or whatever it is this is obviously before i learned that you really can't make a living out of being a, <laughs> a right. freelance game writer um and yeah it just seemed to click off and then all these i think it was just time of discovery for the internet you know, right. that late 90s period, everyone was jumping on board, everyone was doing things. I mean, it was one of the greatest times of my life. It got me to um, Gen Con. Um, wow. It got us in contact with the, the rights, the new rights owner, um, or licensee, perhaps is a better word to use, uh, Ken Whitman, and his attempts to, to resurrect Dark Conspiracy in its second edition. And that led us to an offer for all of us to write a supplement 
for the new new edition. Wow. This so, thing just kind of fell in place, mm, kind of. Very much so. Like. And yeah. I guess when you're younger like that, you're, you're, you're a little more open to just doing stuff. I mean, you've got no obligations. You don't own a house. You live in a dingy student flat. The most expensive <laughs> thing you own is probably your car. Uh, <laughs> got no children, got no other obligations. You just go, oh, I'll do that. Sure. No yeah. Yeah. So, so you're working on this uh, fanzine, and mm. it's pretty good. I mean, I remember, I remember back... I mean, like you said, I was on AOL dial-up, and I would go, "Oh wow, look at they have a Dark Conspiracy fanzine." I remember downloading it, and like, and I'm like, "Oh yeah," and I always thought, "Hey, they always there was always that that was that the call for people to to donate or to present stuff or what do you call it to submit, add, uh, submit stuff." Yes, the and uh, I always wanted to, but I never you know because I, I I would write stuff out in hand. You know, in my notebooks, and I still have a lot of stuff in my notebooks, and and even with the invent of the internet and everything and the computer, I never quite got used to like typing things down. So that was like the biggest hurdle for me. Yeah. And so I never submitted anything. So, but obviously, you know, you're you're you didn't have that problem. No, but well, it was no, really it's, well done. It's like it's really one of those it. things. It's um, once you get starting doing it, then you you just do it, and and those barriers fall away. And look, I, I, I'm I'll be always eternally grateful to the other two. They're the ones that really sort of made that magazine what it was. I uh, yeah, the only thing I can fully claim to be mine was that I think I raised the idea of wouldn't it be good to have a dark conspiracy fan scene? <laughs> it was those guys that jumped in and really did stuff. And look, I'm wow. not complaining. I got said it got me to got me to Gen Con, got me. Uh, uh, I got to meet them in person a couple of times, uh, especially Jeff. Um, it was great. It was just a bit of fun, fun, a fun thing to do. And yeah, at the time, Dark Conspiracy Second Edition was coming. Never quite reached any sort of heights. Right. I, I know that um, I sort of went off the boil there for the, for the game for a while after coming back from Gen Con my now wife and I decided we'd get married and all those sorts of things. I got an opportunity to, to move to Auckland, which is the biggest city in New Zealand and um, get a job and those sorts of things. And so the, my energy for, for writing in dark conspiracy, especially after writing that supplement of gods and gates. Um, wow. Yeah. That's that, pretty good. I, did, I didn't realize that he had written that whole thing. Yeah. You. That's, I that's a that's a cap in your uh, oh. feather in your cap, as they say. <laughs> I'm, I'm not it really tough to do. A lot of work, it, yes. It was a lot of work. It was. Okay. I mean, I, I, I so I just moved to Auckland. I um, was working a um, a job, my first real job, full time, and I was trying to squeeze in that writing. And I even say today, my writing skills have never been the greatest. Yeah. In other words, I it's something that I've learned over time. I'm a lot. I'm much more of an ideas person than I am, let's say, the actual writer. <laughs> But when I saw Mike and Jeff's work, it just seemed to flow, and it was very difficult for me to, for mentally and physically, to keep up with that. Right, right. It's very hard. I just writing when I did my thesis for history, I made my brother be my editor because I was the same way. It's really hard to get the get it to flow right. You know, you have all the ideas, but getting it down on the paper the way that that you need to present it is always mm. the mo- the hardest part. Yeah, I have the same problem. I that's why I tell people I go, I'm an idea man. I'm not very good at writing things down. My grammar is atrocious and stuff like that. So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be able to put stuff out. But like, uh, 
lately, you know, one of my friends goes, well, I could be your editor. I go, dude, that's a tall, that's a tall job. <laughs> you, you have to re- literally rewrite some of my, my words. But yeah, it is a lot of work, I mean, especially if, if, especially for some, you know, for your own, for your own notes and stuff and for your own friends and stuff, it's okay to have, you know, whatever. But, but when you're going to put something out for publication and for other people to read, you really, you know, one, you don't want to look dumb or you don't want to <laughs> look sloppy. And two, you know, it has to make sense to somebody who is not you, right? Exactly. I mean, that's right. And of course, it's even harder when you just got married and got a new oh job God. and all of that kind of stuff. As Saul would yeah. say, real life was interfering with the games. <laughs> real life. It's terrible. It should never happen. <laughs> you should have never, never left college, right? Exactly. Exactly. It was so much easier uh, living, in, living in those lives in a student flat. Uh, but crazy. One, one of the things that I found was, so the two, my, oh, my takeaways from that would be it needed better project management over the three books. All three books in their own rights are great ideas and they, they look good and they, yes, the, the presentation of the final books is very amateur and that's that was beyond what any of the authors could do. But what I thought was we all, all three of us went in different directions and how we wanted to present what we saw as the ideal dark conspiracy adventure. Right. You know, Mike's got a good story. Jeff wanted to create something uh, that was very replicated that experience you get at a con game, convention Uh, game, where mine was much more trying to replicate something like Call of Cthulhu's Master Now Lithotep, which was a really open sandbox type adventure where the the referee gets to direct where things go and throws a bit of the plot in here and there in your wider campaign or wider storyline. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, my I, I the person who wrote that is Lawrence Dettilio, which we, me and Jolene met going to a local con. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, so he and it was funny because I didn't know that he you know that he had any you know writing experience and you know that he was a screenwriter in Hollywood. <laughs> he was just Larry D, right? That you know yeah. he was this fun guy we played games with, and uh, and then somebody goes, "Well, will you introduce me to Larry?" And I'm like. Sure. I, mean, I look at him like, oh, okay. You know, he's just a little gamer. He goes, you don't know who he is? I'm like, yeah, he's Larry. <laughs> it was so funny. But I, about that about that, that particular uh, campaign, a lot of people have problems running it because it's not a linear, right? Mm. It's not, you, know, you can kind of go either direction and the GM has to be kind of light-footed in the direction that the, that the, that the characters or the players are going to go in. Yep. So that's a totally different game than a, at a con, right? Where exactly. It's limited time, you know, you want to get to the, to the end of the game before the time's up, right? Exactly. And I, I think con games today, or even back then, sort of replicated more of the storytelling games we get today. You know, those powered by apocalypse games that right. we see and that sort of style, rather than that sort of old traditional dungeon meandering stories we get in you know, Dungeons and Dragons or, <laughs> right. or most, which is, of course, for most of us, the, the genesis of our role-playing. So we sort of reflect that. Yes. So you go from from writing on a fanzine. Uh, so do you still talk to those guys? Uh, not as much as... I, I, got a, I got very burned out, as I said. So I sort of disappeared okay. off and I, I did some... I, I started my own little zine for only focused on Call of Cthulhu. Oh. I don't know what triggered that. I think I had grand ideas <laughs> at the time, but... Um, I did that. Uh, that was called the Unbound Book, which I did a okay. couple of um, issues of. It's another long story. That one. Uh, <laughs> I'm still releasing material that I drafted back 20 years ago. So wow. occasionally, uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, mm, 
Yeah. So so you burn out on DC. And... I burn out on DC. Um, and I think it would have been... Another hook uh, came by and just dragged you back in? I don't know what it was, but... Oh, I know exactly what it was. Um, I had a friend of mine who was a very enthusiastic person. Um, and everything he got into, he was very enthusiastic about it. Probably, ah, uh, yes. Uh, like you know, he put a hundred percent into everything. And he got in contact with somebody else who was really interested in the game called Earthdawn, another local yes. gamer in Auckland. And at the moment, at that time, Fasser disappeared, and Earthdawn yes. was sitting fallow. I think someone had the rights to it, but wasn't doing anything. And my friend Richard said to my other friend James, "Oh, you should create, get the rights to it." And release your own stuff. Your adventures are wonderful. <laughs> and he did it. He created a, ga- a company called Redbrick, which for a period of time in the sort of mid-2000s and early 2010s was a medium-sized role-playing company. They released wow. uh, Red, uh, all the Earthdawn, re-released Earthdawn, had the Fading Suns license for a while, had a couple oh, wow. of others other couple of licenses as well and i got asked if i wanted to join the company it, it, it didn't work out at the time just the you know money job things were going right. through um i said oh thanks very much i said i'll jump on board and be a bit of an editor maybe for you and that sort of again didn't really happen but what it did do is when i went through the process with james being a um and richard sort of being great cheerleaders was they said um oh well you like dark conspiracy marcus why don't you go get the rights to dark conspiracy <laughs> and for some reason I had Mark Miller's email address and I don't know why that was. So I don't know why that was. So I reached Mark out Mark Miller. Mark Miller is the guy who who wrote Traveler, right? Mm, exactly. And he right. was so he's not unknown in the RPG world. Right? No. And and he <laughs> um unbeknownst to myself had sort of become the guardian of all things game designers workshop in the late nineties, two thousands. So he either obviously the rights he owned himself or the um all those other games that he had contact with he knew who owned them or he was still in contact with the with the people that owned them and all those sorts of things so just a bit of luck really i reached out to him and he said look i can get you in contact with uh the the actual owner of the dark conspiracy rights so what had happened is post the close down of game designers workshop actually before the close down of game designers workshop a company, um, online gaming had become big. Um, oh, yeah. Bulletin board type gaming had become big. And Minion Hunter, the rights of Minion Hunter had been licensed out to this company. And it obviously did okay um, as this online board game, can't remember the name of the company was. But of course, that had faded away as technology had changed. But as Game Designers Workshop went out of business, obviously that company bought the rights to Dark Conspiracy to keep the Minion Hunter bulletin board or game um, going and so the rights ended up going in that direction totally separate from all the other game rights which are pretty much I think parceled out to the original owners um, within Game Designers Workshop uh, so now the sort of remote entity that had pretty much been clear that they were never going to release another physical RPG it wasn't really their their thing right I got going through Mark Miller. He said, um, "Oh, yeah, I know the owner of that. I, I'm sure we could put something together. Give us a proposal." And so I was very ambitious in my proposal about being able to rewrite Dark Conspiracy, rewrite all the rules, produce a different third edition that would be dynamically different from 
the second edition while still being compatible. And that <laughs> that is the thing that caught me. Wow. Because um, I couldn't, I was stupid. I was young, naive. He says, it was only 15 years yeah. ago. I can, I can still claim that. <laughs> You're younger. <laughs> I was younger. Oh, yeah. The things I'd tell my younger self. And I, um, I got the hold of the license. And so I created a little company with a bunch of friends of mine up here. My father chipped in um, just to give us a bit of capital. And I grabbed the rights. Then I discovered how much work it is to manage <laughs> an RPG license. Wow. So what was the name of your company? Uh, the Gamers Conglomerate. Ah, okay. You actually worked on Dark Conspiracy 3rd Edition at this point, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you were working on. And yep. it was a huge undertaking, obviously. Right? Absolutely massive. And I, um, again, I have a tendency to do these things just when my life is getting more complicated. Um, my wife and I had our first child. Uh, I transitioned from being an employee to being a contractor full time, which you know, um, which while oh, I was your plan for the wasn't money, full enough, basically. Yeah, saying, exactly, right? exactly. Um, so, in the midst of the, all these life changes, I mean, that's a huge uh, life change. One is having a son or a kid, because we had a son, and you know. And you know, you were like, "Oh, there's two of us. We outnumber the kid, no problem." <laughs> but, but you know, for some reason, that little guy, you know, takes a lot of work. Exactly, they do. Yes. And then, like you said, you went from a from a paid position to being a contractor. That means you're kind of like on your own, right? You're mm-hmm. like your own boss, and the paychecks aren't as steady, maybe possibly whatever. Oh, uh, that lot bigger gap between the paycheck, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So then you you put off yeah, the plates are full. So let's start a. A game company and uh, yeah. write a new game. So how did that go? I mean, you know, obviously it was pretty hard. and It, and- it was. Um, and the the trouble was trying to keep all the um, streams going while being also being the creative leader. I think, again, lesson learned would be I'm a pretty good project manager and program director. That's what I do as a day job. Be doing that as well as being the, the author, as well as being the creative designer, as well as being the art director, it just doesn't work. <laughs> if I do it again, and it's something I've learned being involved in the new fourth edition writing, is parcel that work out and right. become a real collective. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, pick your strong points and dole out the rest that mm-hmm. that is a little bit lacking or not as strong. Because well, you can't do all of it. It's yeah. just way too much. Exactly. Right? Right. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. that's cool. I mean, that's an interesting story. I mean, I mean, that is like a, 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 almost any gamer that's been gaming for any length of time dreams or or has a, a, basically dreams of, of writing their own game or or something like you where you had this game that that uh, you really like that went out of pu- went out of print or stopped being published, and you think about it. Well, you know, if I could just get the rights to it, I could, you know. I always tell Saul no when he <laughs> says stuff like this. I'm like, no. Yes. <laughs> my my wife now says the same thing. <laughs> so so now so now you're you know you're wiser and and the ways of. Uh, of uh, publishing and stuff so you still do a lot of work with dc you're still involved mm. you still have a a website that that has to do with dark conspiracy and stuff and and so you know what has kept uh that well i think what it is is that as i said i'm much more of a, a thought an ideas person uh than okay. i am an actual creative as such um right. so i have millions of ideas uh floating <laughs> around in my mind for all types of role-playing games that i play 
So okay. it's not the only website I run. I run a one to support the old Stormbringer role-playing game. I don't know if yes. you know what that is. Um, yes, yes, of course. I also have a site that supports um, uh, some Call of Cthulhu material and other games like The Esoterists by Palgrain Press. Conspiracy X is another one. Wow. Oh, wow. So you're really into this dark horror conspiracy? Oh thing, yeah, but... there's something. I think I'm a light and cherry person, so I don't know. Maybe there's a dark side to me. Right, right. So I have you know a lot of my friends play Call of Cthulhu, and and it's not one of the games that I really like to play. Uh, I still play you know adventures, one shots here and there, but dark conspiracy for some reason doesn't have that. I don't have that same dread. That I do with the that you're gonna go insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, yeah, I won't go insane, but also that, like you said, you could actually fight the 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 evil with mm-hmm. guns, right? I always thought that was pretty cool. And what I and what I didn't like about COC, which I guess other people love, is that you know it's not a it's not a game we can blow the bad things away, right? It's, it's, yeah. And yeah. where dark conspiracy is exactly that. It's it's like, exactly that. You know, yeah. You can That's go to hangs war it. with them. It hangs its hooks on the fact that, yes, you can take your beatings, you get up, you dust yourself off, and then you start shooting your gun back, right? That's <laughs> – which gives it that niche, That's yeah. That's so true, yeah. So are you – you know, obviously news just came out that a fourth edition of, of uh, Dark Conspiracy was uh, – well, actually, a company was going to start it or redo, publish it mm-hmm. or publish it or whatever, and they kind of went under, right? Yep. They were a German company. That's right. Correct. Right. Yes. And did you uh, back that? That project? I did. I think I threw, okay. uh, you know, at a, at a, at a middleish tier level, maybe fifty dollars. Okay. I put onto okay. it something I could afford. Um, yeah, and so which would have got you the core book or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. on most of the the um, add-ons uh, at the time, right. of course. I mean, I kept active uh, in the community, as you know. Um, I suppose I've become a little bit more independent as well. I've I've stopped trying to. Uh, placate everybody else with my ideas and thoughts and just said well this is who i am and this is what my game site's going to do i'm going to release my own material regardless of who owns the rights to dark conspiracy right um this is my creative output this is just a way of entertaining myself i don't really mind what you think about what i produce um (laughs) i think you have to when you get to a certain age (laughs) just go yeah bugger it i'm just gonna do this exactly Cool. You uh, you kicked into this uh, yeah. Kickstarter or and whatever it was. No, it wasn't Kickstarter, but yes, crowdfunding. Which I, I I fully understand that putting it not on Kickstarter was probably a, the initial barrier that yes. I think to delivering this product in a timely manner. Now you've got to be clear that Clockwork um, and I can't pronounce the German name of it. Uh, <laughs> no, I. Are a big company in Germany. They aren't a fly-by-night small little company of one guy in right. a bedroom. Well, actually, there might be one or two people in a bedroom, but uh, <laughs> on the scale of role-playing, they're a fairly decent company. They've got a good reputation, and they've worked through this whole situation that happened when they went into uh, whatever it is where they basically they call it administration. Administration, they, yeah. Here in the yeah. states, is it would be like bankruptcy? Bankruptcy, court? yeah, yeah, yeah. Chapter thirteen yeah. or whatever it's called, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they've worked their way through it because obviously in Germany it's about keeping the business going and it's about working through these problems. And I think what they had done is they had indicated well ahead of time that they were, they'd got to this point because they realized they were running out of money rather right. than doing the opposite. We're out of money. I'm sorry. Goodbye. We're going to shut everything down. So they traded their way out of it, which is, which is really good. I, I got contacted by Jason Durrell, who is the line, uh, the line developer for them for Dark Conspiracy. 
So I knew Jason through, again, actually through my Stormbringer work because he was involved with Chaosium. And when <laughs> Chaosium. I was doing my website and reaching out to people and doing, just like you do, interviews, but rather than doing them on the radio, I do or over the radio. God, my, how integrated is that? <laughs> uh, over the interwebs, uh, I, was, I do um, written interviews. Um, right. Just for timing reasons and those sorts of things. Um, yes. And and so Jason reached out to me and said, you know, I know you're into this and, you know, Shell, did you want to join in the group? And he had got a bunch of authors. Many of them had been involved in other products done by Clockwork. Um, so he had a big stable of writers. Cool. Um, a lot of the fans that have come from Demon Ground and its it successor magazines like Proto Dimensions and more recently Dark Times. So, yeah, I jumped on board that and I got involved and probably – Pumped out about ten thousand words, just for for around mainly around character generation and character creation. But, wow. Well, that's pretty but, good. Yeah, it's, it's um, it was around again fourth edition, the underlying tenants that we've been going for. And I hope this isn't. I don't think I'm breaking any NDA here. Is um, essentially looking at modernising the system by keeping that old right. spirit. Okay. They didn't good uh, like just. You know, what do you do? Uh, throw everything in the garbage and just mm. start brand new. They're trying to build upon the the feeling or the, the, the sense that you get from playing the old Dark Conspiracy, I guess. That's right. Or are they? Right. Okay. Yep. Again, you know, here you are somehow uh, <laughs> coming back, <laughs> coming back and having come back again. Latest yeah. edition. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yep. That is. And you're in Australia, uh, not Australia, you're in New Zealand. Yep. So yep. it's not like a. Uh, well, I mean, th- this was a German company, so are mm-hmm. most of the people on the project German? No, I don't no? think they are. I think they're all spread okay. around the world. <laughs> so, okay. They definitely needed somebody from uh, New Zealand. That to, is uh, the new economy. To, yeah. uh, they've, got, they've got Australians, I know that. They've got Americans and English people. Ooh. It's uh, English men, women. Um, they, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a very much a conglomerate, again, of authors, which has been really good because they powered through the draft. So, the, you know, again, I don't think I'm staying too much out of order. The draft of fourth edition was pretty much there before wow. the situation happened. And now, obviously, we've got a new company right. uh, picking up the rights. So that was announced a couple of days ago as right. of the recording of this, um, which is great to see. Um, it's good. I hope those people that backed it backed so that's probably my biggest concern with what's happened, both with the failure of the Kickstarter and almost a year of not really any news coming out, was right. Dark Conspiracy was never the biggest game in the world. You know, it's not like it's not like Call of Cthulhu. It's not like Dungeons and Dragons, which, you know, has now claims 40 million players around the world. You know, it's right. always been a very niche game. Yes. Um, and even the hobby world, the, the gaming hobby is a very niche game, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when, even though you talk about millions of people playing, you know, in a world of, uh, I don't know how many billion, you know, it's a very small segment of that, of that hobby Absolutely. Uh, world. Right. And so everybody talks about games being uh, role-playing games or even board games being a, you know, a, a money maker or whatever. Uh, it's still a very small, uh, overall, a small population that plays games and stuff exactly. like that. Yeah, your audience, yeah. your potential selling audience is tiny. You know, right. when, when, recently I've been involved with some work that has been quite far reaching and to understand the scales in which it's, it's almost incomprehensible for someone that comes from New Zealand with a population of what, 5 million people living in the country. <laughs> um, you know, 
uh, the, the economy is a scale of making a decision and what that means to your bottom line and what that means to your profit and what it means to your expenses is, is amazing when you're dealing with these, uh, you know, conglomerate international conglomerates that are producing things like your cell phones or your apples or your yeah. Samsung. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And it's just something that I think that gaming just will never, ever reach, you know, <laughs> I, I always, I, I think it might've been Ken Height. I'm sure you probably know who Ken Height is. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It, that gaming, gaming role-playing books should be a coffee table book. In other words, it should be really expensive, but, and it should be glossy and beautiful and yes. just, you know, the problem then is that most of us can't afford to afford it. Yeah. Yeah. We can't afford to spend $120 on a role-playing book, even though really that's what we should be doing. Right. Yes. I mean, theoretically, you know, we, we've always talked about role-playing as being a, a, and even board games, right. Being a compared to other forms of entertainment that people do and people, uh, well, well people do it. It's sort of cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you pay $150 for a board game, let's say you play it, you know, uh, 10 times and you spend, you know, a hundred hours playing it or whatever, you know, one night at a bar here in the United States of when we, before we got closed down, <laughs> was like a hundred bucks. Right. So you're, yeah. you're dropping bucks when you go out, but people don't equate it the same way. Right. No. Like, oh my God. How can I, am I going to spend a hundred bucks on a board game or a, or a role-playing book, which you can even spend more hours playing. Right. I mean, if we, if all there was, was Dungeons and Dragons and we, bought the original three books advanced Dungeons and dragons you know how many hours have we played that game and you know it's made up it's money you know you know it's like less than a penny a play right exactly so, exactly you know, some people don't look at it that way no. and I, I think and it's really weird because it's kind of like oh my god they always talk about the price of things mm-hmm. and you know and for some reason I've, I've talked about it in my podcast in our podcast is that gamers seem to be a real penny pinchers right oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> for some reason they're tight wads right they don't yeah. want to spend any money I think it's because there's so many things to buy. Exactly. We've got to click them all, right? We're like Pokemon trainers. We've got to get everything when it comes out. I think I stayed, luckily, I stayed away from collectible card games because I never got into it. How how about you? Did you ever get caught up with that? I was into uh, Magic for a little while, but I played a lot of Vampire, the the Eternal Struggle, VTs, way back in the day. There was a bit of a group of us that played it, and we probably spent. Again, for students, we've probably spent a lot of money on cards. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I avoided that for some reason. I don't know how I did, but I did. And uh, I think I'm, le- I'm lucky. I'm nah, lucky my, my sons have both got into games. One of them with the Pokemon for a while, a Pokemon card game, and then one was into Magic for a while. And luckily, we've got a store uh, in my nearest city, about an hour down the road um, from where cool. I live, and uh, they sell all those common cards for like $5 for a big box, you know, all the rubbish cards, just get rid of them. Um, Of course, (laughs) when the kids were younger, you just buy, oh, here's a birthday present. I'll buy $5 worth of cards. Go sit in the corner for an hour or two and go through those. Oh, yeah. Absolutely love it. Of course. So uh, now that fourth edition is is sort of back on track, right? It's, uh, you know, have some company. I I haven't heard anything more officially than what's been been announced. Uh, so you, yeah, you know, but everybody, you know, you gotta remain hopeful, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my biggest concern, as I was sort of, sort of saying before, is that being a small game in a small niche hobby, yeah. these experiences are going to burn whatever goodwill there was for Dark Conspiracy. Um, right. You know, I, you can see people out there who were like, "Oh, 
I haven't even thought about dark conspiracy for 20 years. Oh, well, here's a chance I can throw a few dollars on it. Well, where's my money gone? What's happening? Um, who's doing something? Where's the information? Oh, well, I'm not ever going to bother with dark conspiracy ever again. Yeah. yeah That's what yeah. makes me sad for someone who probably spends a big chunk of my time thinking about dark conspiracy and the ideas behind dark conspiracy and the, and the setting and the world and the, the environment. And cause that's something that I've always liked. I mean, I don't know. How do you see dark conspiracy? Saul, how do you, uh, I mean, I, I, I always thought it was like, kind of like a, like a, a possibility of what, you know, we're just like one or two steps away from dark conspiracy times. And I think this Even COVID more like, so now, especially <laughs> with I think, a, I think this COVID <laughs> epidemic pandemic kind of like pushes you in that direction, you know, mm -hmm. that how fragile we are as far as a, a society and stuff and how easily, you know, we always talked, at least here in the United States, I mean, I don't want to get political, but, you know, we, we're, we seem so easily uh, uh, swayed by these, uh, by this rhetoric of whatever, you know, is the flavor of the week or the mm -hmm. month. And so having a real crisis like this kind of really pushes the boundaries of, of what? Of society. Of a society, of how you know staunch we are or how well stable, how stable we are. Mm. And it turns out we're not that stable. No. no. <laughs> and so dark conspiracy to be, you know, back in the eighties, I was, you know, we were coming off the cold war and, and I remember Jolene's always joking about it that, you know, we did drills here in the United States like, in case of a nuclear attack, we're supposed to go underneath our desk and put our heads down, right? Which makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> no. And so, you know, there was always that that end of the world could happen type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think Dark Conspiracy kind of, you know, was, you know, feeding that kind of a, a, a fear. Not totally. feeding it, but working off that kind of fear. But at the same time, your characters can fight back, right? That was the whole point. That's the whole point. Yeah. And so I really like that. I really loved that part of it. And yeah. no matter how how desperate the fight was, the fight was worth fighting for, right? You exactly. know, and so and so that's what I really liked about it. I think, you know, even now I would love to see a new edition, mainly because I think the rules are a little bit clunky and a little bit dated. Oh. I don't <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with you on that one. But I still love playing it, even yeah. as crappy as or or, or how much you liked or you, didn't like about the rules. You always adjust the rules anyway. Totally. Yes, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, any gamer doesn't like rules; they just change it exactly. Anywhere. You just you, you know, And how many system people have picked up a, a setting they've liked and put it into another system they like? You know, whether right. it's the flavor of the week. I mean, that's why we see so many powered by the apocalypse games coming out at the moment is because right. people like that system. They feel that replicates what they want to feel at the table. They just want to be able to do that in everything from, let's say, D&D's Dark Sun world through to Shadowrun, you know, and right. everything in between, yes. which I fully understand. <laughs> exactly. The thing I've always liked about Dark Conspiracy, to me, I always imagine Dark Conspiracy as if the 80s, those things that were around in the 80s had extended onwards in like a parallel universe to our own. It right. is in our future. So right. I... I I think with the new fourth edition, the way it was being written, they were looking at f putting the timeline into the future, like they've done with games like Shadowrun or Cyberpunk. Right. Every time a new edition's come out every 10 years, they just pushed the time <laughs> when the big change has happened further on. Right. Well, I, I believe that, no, you just treat it as a totally different parallel universe that was exactly the same as ours up until the 1980s, let's say 1989. Right. And then suddenly it, went off at a tangent and this is just a divergence from that yeah that sounds pretty cool which makes things that means you can still have 
Um, if you look, pick up the rule book now and look at the computers, the high tech computers <laughs> in the back, <laughs> and some of the technology. Yes, exactly. Uh, Hilarious. It's laughable. It's laughable. But even, even even like science fiction games that happens, right? When you talk about, mm-hmm. I, I played uh, space opera for a long time. And they talk about you know how much memory is in a computer and and how, how big it is you know and I'm like oh my god I, mean, I got a far more powerful computer in my pocket than exactly. than what these guys have, have listed. I, I remember somewhere someone saying that you know the intelligence on the Voyager probe is the same as when I was at school and my little scientific calculator <laughs> that I had there. You know that was yes. There's an equation. Yeah, or like the space shuttle. You know, they talk about the space shuttle computers, and when we had a space program, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, they talk about how antiquated that was, and and stuff like that. So I think you're right. I think if you if you just you know do what you say, it's just an alternate line in the reality, mm. and follow that thread the way it goes, and then you know you don't have to make these huge changes to the world. Well, it's very interesting, especially with this. Um, we've been in, we live in Santa Clara County in California. In San Jose, and we were the one of the first people. Our our medical lady said, "Okay, we're going to close down uh, these seven counties. There's going to be seven million of how many of us are there? At least five or six billion. The, million. We're gonna. You're just going to stay home. And yeah. I remember I was so. And then they said you needed to wear a face covering when you go out. And I'm like, going, okay, we don't have any of these. And Saul works at the at a grocery store, so he has to go to work all the time. And I remember the first time we had these. What does Augustine call those? Bali kavas, Bali. Uh, yeah, I, I forget what they are. But they they cover your everything except for your eyes. And I'm all, I have to go to the bank, and so I pulled the part back down over the, the back of the hood part down over my head and i just put it over my mouth and my nose i'm like i hope they don't think i'm gonna try to <laughs> uh, the bank. And i was telling i was telling augustine my son of all this is like the he plays rust but he also plays games Computer with us all games, the time yeah. so um i go this is like the dark conspiracy or um or shadow run where you have to you know <laughs> we're going to the grocery store so put your face mask on <laughs> don't touch anything and excellent so. yes yeah it's kind of surreal you know and, and and i think like i said i think dark conspiracy like all these things that happened in the past you know that that they forecasted you know we you know i'm not saying that there were what uh, uh that alternate timeline could happen at any moment yeah yeah i mean that's <laughs> exactly some of the elements are like here to right now you know you talk about just because of uh the way uh populations move and stuff you know cities have grown larger and mm-hmm. there's areas in the in the midwest and stuff that were small towns are 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 losing population. Some really small towns have lost populations. I've I saw an article in the in the on the news uh, saying that they were selling the whole town because it, there was nobody wow. in it, right? <laughs> As yeah. you could buy the whole town for like a million dollars. Wow. <laughs> so so you know that's like perfect for Demon Ground, right? Because mm-hmm. there's like you know, there's nobody there, you know. And so what a play, perfect place for an incursion of the evil. This is what game exactly. think. <laughs> That's right. So everything's an opportunity, you see. That's what I always think. Everything's an opportunity. So uh, what are you uh, working on now? What's your favorite uh, gaming hobby or gaming project? <sighs> it, ch- it changes by the day. <laughs> Absolutely by the day. I, I do sort of rotate around a few core games that I try and support or do things for. Um, like I said, if the, for Stormbringer, something that I try to be like an archivist for. The right. website I run for that tries to 
reach out and contact the people that created that game back in the nineties. That's a, that, that's a, that's a long time ago. That is a, and it's scary. That, that was chaos. Right. That, that put yeah. that out and it's based on Mark, Michael Moorcock's uh, books, right? Correct. Yeah, right. that's right. With, uh, with, uh, I forget the Prince guy's name. Elric. Elric. Yes. Yes. And it was, he was like an anti-hero, right? He was like a bad dude. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I don't know if Jolene's ever read any of his stuff. I read one of his books, the first one, and Eric Ameldebone or whatever it's called. I'm just looking mm-hmm. at Saul going, he Melbourne. has all these, these Melbourne, facts in right. his head. Yeah. And so I was like, man, I go, this is really weird stuff. Because I'm, you know, I'm used to reading the more happier tales of my heroes being nice guys. <laughs> so it was a trip. And I remember playing one year way back in the 80s. Uh, some we were at a me and my brother were at a convention and we decided to some guys a lady and a, a guy go hey, we want to play Stormbringer I'm like well we never played it but we'll try so we played it we played it and I don't even remember anything about the rules but the guy we you know had obviously read all the books and was really into it so it was a really good game a really fun experience. It, it, oh. it is fun and and like I said it I guess that's sort of the, what with all my gaming things it's all about keeping things going um, yeah even when I did the Call of Cthulhu stuff back in the the Two th- uh, sort of late 2000s, early 2010s. It was because Chaosium at the time was a very quiet, very small company. Right. And I felt I needed to do something to keep, to do my little bit to keep the thing, the fires burning. Um, you know, that's not the truth anymore now. The new Chaosium with the new owners, uh, fantastic. They've gone out there and totally changed their philosophy, become really inclusive, have really built and grown their, their, their properties. Right, brought some of the old ones back as well, yes, like yes. RuneQuest and things like that. Right, um, I, I, I was shocked. I mean, I was like, man, they're really like digging back, you know, and that's mm, cool. No, not a, I'm not. A, I played a bit when I was younger, but no, not a RuneQuest <laughs> fan at all, actually. But I think they followed the philosophy of of Wizards of the Coast, which is you have to spend money to make money. You know, you right. have to go out there and make your brand. You have to embrace some of these commercial ideals and i think they're doing that and that's what's making them successful you've got to get out there and do things now not everyone you know i'll be the first one to say i don't don't agree with everything they say or do but (laughs) you can't but respect them for what they've achieved and what they've done with chaos even like three or four short years right right and you know and they lot and greg stafford passed away who had just Mm. got back to the company right basically or exactly and so i think it's pretty cool what they're doing uh i play uh what is it uh uh, what am I thinking of? I don't know. Do <laughs> what did Greg Stafford write? What's the big uh, Pendragon? Pendragon, That's right? It. We've been playing Pendragon, and I'm on a Pendragon's board, and it's really you know people love that game. It's kind of like mm. you know one of those games that has been around forever, hasn't changed much, and is basically the same game that it was when he first wrote it. And you know people are in love with that game, and, and there's always people are always finding it. You know, oh, I just uh, just realized that this game was out. I'm like, wow, really? And the same thing with Dark Conspiracy. You know, that happens yep. too. Yeah, I don't know how. I'm, I'm the same. There'll be still. I mean, I've my entire life I've been gaming, and there's still games that I go, how is that? Where have I missed that one? Where did that come from? <laughs> how do you, how, yeah, how did you not know about this? How do I know? Torg is an example of that. Yes. I heard, I'd heard of Torg, but I never even knew what it was about until the re-release recently. And I was like, my God, how did I miss this game? And that's a, like a wacky game, right? That's what the, yeah. the, the, something about inter, uh, alter, alternate realities kind of sort of. Exactly. Yes. yes. It's, got, it's got a few dark conspiracies. Again, I think that comes out of that same period of time when that sort of zeitgeist of change and 
conspiracies and and world changing events was going on. That's what I think it, it reflects, you know, right. world changing events. I'm just looking. So I've just I've just uh, turned my chair around, looking at my big shelf of role playing games. Uh-oh. I've got, you know, it is. I've got a one big bookcase of shelves, and I've got a couple of big plastic containers full of things like um, first edition uh, vampire and werewolf and uh, all those big games that had huge lines that you as a gamer just suddenly want to you need everything got to collect it all <laughs> yeah i know jolene jolene uh, chides me every once in a while when she looks at my my but ever expanding <laughs> library <laughs> yeah but yeah. the thing is that yeah, you can get stuff dirt cheap these days you get it on second hand you yes. find yes. it through ebay you know I've, I've filled in gaps in my collection over the years with just exactly that <laughs> right um i've said to my wife I was going to say, I said to my wife, um, if I die, I need, before I die, uh, not that I'm planning on dying soon, but uh, you know, I better, um, I better make a list of what games are worth things so you can actually get some decent money for it. <laughs> That's so funny because I've thought about that. If something happened huh? to Saul, how would I know which of these games are <laughs> yeah. actually worth it? Yes. I've said to my best mate, um, I've said to him, look, you better, if something happened to me, you better come down there and uh, make sure that you yeah, catalog my games, take the ones that are worth something and, you know. Put them, put them in an icon somewhere. Put the, yeah, exactly right. Uh, sell them to uh, top dollar to your noble night games or something. <laughs> just, Pay for just, my funeral that way. Just to start the Marcus Bone Library. Yeah, exactly. And maybe maybe they could do like the Viking thing. Maybe you could rip up all the role playing games <laughs> with them. I've got enough of them. Oh yeah, easy, easy. It's really great talking to you. Uh, no, thanks for you thanks too. for you know taking time out of your extremely busy schedule. I, <laughs> I think you know, I'm, like you, I, I'm working from home. It's uh, or I'm working from home at the moment, so it's it's not too far, too okay. much. No, but it's funny that that you are the type of person you are because you know, uh, what would you do if you didn't have RPGs as a creative outlet? You know, because like it seems like you're just bursting with ideas, and and you know, you you'd probably be maddening, right? If you didn't have this, oh, I would be. I, I think I would be one of those people that has a million half written novels, <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a million half written adventures. I. I, I kid you not, I have hundreds of thousands of unpublished words that will never, ever see the light of day. I well, have you know, written a full Call of Cthulhu campaign that is sitting there that is that is about 60,000 words at the moment. Probably only needs another 20,000 20, words to finish it off. And I just cannot get motivated to do it. I look at it and I've written myself into a corner. And I think I'd do the same if I wasn't in role-playing. I'd be writing these novels and ideas and I'd write 20,000 words and then I would screw it up. I'd be that proverbial man with a typewriter <laughs> screwed up bits of paper all around me. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, for the rest of us, you, you will get some of the stuff actually out <laughs> into the world because, you know, from what I've read already, you know, the stuff that you write on your website and, and stuff like that, I think you're a really good writer and you, it seems like, Thanks. you know, you're robbing us of... Marcus Bones uh, <laughs> of fantastic ideas. Oh, dear, dear. No, um, <laughs> I wish I wish mentally I thought the same way. Most of the time I look at my stuff and go, I should have done it better. I should have done it this way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, hand it off to a friend or somebody who likes to read stuff. And then, uh, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like, I, I, a friend of mine is offered to, to look over my stuff and goes, yeah, whatever you need. Because he's sort of retired. And, and so, you know, he's, he's a gamer. 
and loves playing games and loves running games. You, know, you just got to find somebody that just, yeah, it's just going to light the fire. And, you know, get <laughs> my poor, I don't know how many uh, adventures my poor wife has read for me and how many <laughs> of my ga- old gaming group, I still keep in contact with Auckland, we play over online every week, um, just D&D. Uh, how many of those things I've sent to them or I've run them through, you know, I've come, I'm coming up for the weekend. Uh, prepare yourself for a weekend session of this or that, <laughs> whatever my latest obsession is. There you go. Well, it's really great fun talking to you. Thanks for, Brilliant. like I said, taking time for to talk to us. Uh, we were supposed to talk with Lee, but he was feeling under the weather. Mm. We'll probably uh, interview him by himself. Maybe we'll, later on, after fourth edition comes out, we'll talk about it. Maybe we should <laughs> run a game. Over yeah, you go. Absolutely. Yes. Do you have anything that you want to say to people? You know, what websites you want to push, uh, or yeah, you know, so... you're, you're, you're going to publish something out of your library? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, um. Like I said, I run a couple of those sites. The, the unboundbook.org is uh, the one where my Cthulhu stuff and all my sort of fantasy, uh, so all my science fiction goes to. Obviously, my dark conspiracy site, I try and do something once a month for the site, but right. yeah, if you're lucky. And uh, my stormbringerrpg.com site is where I try to archive the history of Stormbringer and all its editions and its new versions of the game and so what what, what edition was stormbringer go up to uh, was it ever like more than more than one so um so let's just see it starts at it's got a it's got a first and second which are pretty much the same a third edition was published by games workshop back in the 80s okay um fourth edition sort of where it defines where it becomes much more of a modern game it stops being quite so gonzo as it was in the earlier editions it becomes much more like a traditional role-playing game there and then there was an Alric edition, which is different again. Um, that was sort of a, an attempt to reboot in the mid '90s, and it probably becomes what I call the best version for me. For me, <laughs> my people don't don't agree, but that's for me. And then they released a Stormbringer Fifth Edition, which is a cleaned up version oh. of Alric. And when then, was that? Oh wow! That would have been that would have been about two thousand. Uh, it was very limited. They also produced a um, game called Dragon Lords of um, Mel- Mel- um, Mel- Mel- which Mel- is um, yeah. a version of the game for third edition Dungeons and Dragons, and um, then a company called oh, what were they called? Like why can I remember think what, what they're called? They, uh, an English company got hold of the rights for a while, and they produced their own series of Elric um, games um, using the old RuneQuest system, which they then called Legend. So there was a bunch of books, and they wrote also wrote a Hawkmoon game as well. It has more life than I thought it had. Oh, it's huge! It's absolutely massive. But again, I think it's a, so much of a niche um, situation that you know how many people had read Moorcock? Moorcock was big in the sixties. He was yes. groundbreaking then, and right. yes, he's kept around and he, some of his modern stuff. But even he changed in his writing when he writes um, like his two thousand books around Alaric about the character Alaric are very very different in style oh. than they were in the 60s but you can imagine i'd be the yeah, same yeah yeah exactly well so, well sounds like he's still a busy guy <laughs> uh, yeah yeah exactly i mean he's in his 70s now and he's still going um i had the the pleasure of once talking with him so that was a little tick box in my you know geeky fandom i got to meet michael moorcock and have <laughs> a conversation cool. with him that's neat yeah it's pretty yeah. neat let's continue success in all your endeavors and uh, thank you very much like you have a, quite a few uh maybe <laughs> like i said we'll talk and yeah let's play a game <laughs> yeah definitely oh well right. once uh something comes around i'll organize all right well thanks a lot thanks for a playing lot. with us 
This is Gaming Perspectives with (laughs) Saul and Jolene. You have a good day.